This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Time once again for the Bama Online Podcast. It is a midweekend edition of the show. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, back with you. It is the first weekend of the month of March in 2023, so a confluence of activities coming together here as we get into March. Of course, March Madness upon us on the basketball courts. Also, spring practice at the University of Alabama and elsewhere around college football set to get underway. We're going to talk some Alabama football coming up in just a little bit. We'll get specific with the offensive tackle position for Nick Saban's 2023 team. You also got the NFL Combine going on up in Indianapolis. Bryce Young not throwing, but he did measure. He did measure, what, 5'10 and 1'8", I believe it was. So imagine that. At sub six foot, this guy somehow managed to win the 2021 Heisman Trophy while participating in the nation's toughest league, the Southeastern Conference. I don't know how he did it, man, at 5'10 and 8. Oh, well. Hey, let's talk some Alabama men's basketball, though, as we get going here. On the show, Alabama wrapping up the regular season with a trip to Reed Arena in College Station, Texas, where it took on... The second-place team in the SEC, the Texas A&M Aggies, wondered about the energy level for this team in an early tip-off coming off an overtime, emotionally draining performance in a win over Auburn that secured the outright SEC title for Nate Oates' team. And, you know, I think some folks will look at the early stages of its loss on Saturday at Texas A&M and maybe think that fatigue was a part of that. I would side maybe some of that with the mental aspect, maybe not so much physically, because this is a team that goes 10 deep. You know, Nate's not afraid to play guys, so I didn't detect as much of that. It was just attention to detail, really, from the outset of the game on Saturday. And give this team a lot of credit, though dug itself an early hole, which seems to be its M.O. of late, which is concerning in its own right, because you are getting into a stage of the season with postseason. That finality of a season coming to an end, it's going to make it tougher. If this is the way Alabama is going to do it moving forward, it's only going to get tougher because the pressure is going to go up. The stakes are going to go up. So certainly, as Nate talked about in his postgame comments on Saturday, Would love to see his team get off to something better than a 22-point first half. And shooting the three at a more efficient rate would certainly help in that regard. Alabama, once again, just not good at all from beyond the arc. Starts the game, what was it, 1 of 16, 2 of 19 in the first half from three? It's only three in its first 16 attempts on Saturday at Texas A&M. Jaden Bradley, who's not known at all for shooting the three. But I like that. Jaden was shot ready and didn't hesitate on that attempt and knocking it down. His only three-point attempt of the game. Played just nine minutes as Javon Quinterly, once again, a fixture on the basketball along with Brandon Miller. And through it all, Alabama with the early hole, with all the turnovers in the first half, 
and being outscored in the paint even by 10 in the first half by Texas A&M. Really took advantage of some rebounding and some second chance points, especially there in the second half to hold a 16-4 to edge in second chance points for the game. You know, Texas A&M's bench only scored one point. But Javon Quinterly had 12 for Alabama. Again, though, Ryland Griffin, Amari Burnett, just not shooting the basketball well at the most important time of the year. Ryland Griffin now, after going 0 for 6 from 3 on Saturday at Texas A&M, he's gone four games without a 3. Namari uh, made one against Auburn last time out, but I think it's four out of the last five now that Namari Burnett has not cashed in from three-point lane, and Alabama was getting good looks from three. Seemed pretty obvious that Buzz Williams and Texas A&M had decided, look, I don't think we're athletic enough, dynamic enough to hang in man-to-man on the basketball, so we're going to help. We're going to help on the drive. We're going to come off some shooters. We're going to rotate over from some post. We're going to be more than willing to take some charges. That was evident, wasn't it, early in the game? A&M was going to put the officials in a place of having to make charge and block calls, and uh, that's a lot of how this game played out. And on the other end, you know, with Alabama getting so many wide-open looks and A&M almost banking on Alabama to stay cold, as it has been over the last couple of three games, Alabama wasn't going to save itself from the free-throw line this time out. When you get up 36 threes, you're probably not getting into the paint or getting to the rim as much as you would like. Now, again, in the second half, Alabama really turned that around, more so off the offensive boards. Alabama with 15 offensive rebounds in the game to give it 16 second-chance points compared to just four second-chance points for Texas A&M. So in the final 20 minutes, a lot of that worked in Alabama's favor after a first half in which that was not the case. But again, Alabama, after going 7 of 36 on Saturday, 25 of its last 116 three-point attempts. Over the last four games, Alabama shooting under 22% from three. And that's that number takes on meaning because they're getting volume up. You know, they're getting a lot of threes up. It's not like they're shooting 21% from three and they're only taking six or seven a game. Four games... 116 threes, yeah, my public school background tells me, even me, that that's close to 30 threes per game. And again, even with all of the issues, even with the unforced errors, even with the unforced misses on wide open looks from three, which did improve in the second half, thankfully for Alabama, couldn't get much worse than two of 19 in the first half, right? I mean, five of 15 isn't setting the woods on fire, but... It's a hell of a lot better than 2 of 19. Even with all of that, here we are, what, with about 10 minutes to play. Alabama has gotten a 10-point halftime deficit down to 2. Looks like Alabama is maybe going to hit the Jets a little bit in the final 7 or 8 minutes once again, as we've seen them do in the past. Take a 54-51 lead after a Javon Quinterly 3 with 431 remaining in the game. But then in a two-point game with about three and a half minutes to go, Javon had one of those inexplicable turnovers where he's trying to force a post-entry to the free-throw line to Brandon Miller into two defenders. It is picked off. A&M comes down the other way. Miller, in trying to get over a screen, fouls Wade Taylor, A&M's outstanding point guard, on a three-pointer. 
Taylor hits the three free throws, and the lead is now back out to five. And even with all of that, and even after Brandon Miller fouls out with 159 left in the game, it's a 61-59 Texas A&M lead. Alabama has got the basketball after a defensive stop and a rebound. Mark Sears telegraphs an outlet pass to Javon Quinterly, and it is picked off by Anderson Garcia. Anderson Garcia had Texas A&M's only point, bench point, in the game, but he also had the biggest steal of the game. And that's a tough one for Mark Sears, and it was a tough day for Mark Sears. He goes one of seven from the field, one of five from three-point range, fouls out, did have seven rebounds for Mark Sears, had three turnovers. But that's a tough situation because Mark Sears is a guard. He's not a post. And I know you want Javon Quinterly to push the basketball. But there's no reason for Mark Sears in that position, if he even has to hesitate a little bit on that outlet pass, not to just take it on his own and push the ball up into the front court. Again, though, this isn't to lay blame entirely at the feet of Mark Sears. Alabama simply did not execute as well as it needed to, especially in the half court, and give Texas A&M some credit too. The Aggies went a little bit against the scouting report, although I'm sure that Nate Oates and his staff had an understanding of a Texas A&M offense that will take some opportunities early in possessions. Not that A&M plays nearly as fast as Alabama, but it will push early while hunting easier opportunities in transition. And here's the thing too. If I told you before the game, and I wrote about the guard play on Friday in three predictions for Alabama-Texas A&M, if I told you before the game that Wade Taylor and Tyrese Radford, the duo of guards for Texas A&M, were going to combine for 49 points in the game and go a combined 20 of 20 from the free throw line, yeah, you probably would have figured at game's end Alabama wouldn't be as close as just six points. And I mentioned free throws again because credit to A&M, whatever you thought of the whistles on Saturday, the Aggies made it count. 27 of 28 from the free throw line for Texas A&M. A&M did not have a field goal in the final four minutes and 16 seconds of Saturday's game. But you know what the Aggies did do? They went 13 of 13 from the free throw line in the final 316. So give some credit to Alabama defensively. Texas A&M shot 34% from the field. Alabama, about the same thing. A&M went 4 of 16 from three-point range. That's just 25%. Alabama, from a percentage perspective, even worse at 19.4. The big difference, though, free throws down the stretch. A&M was money at the free throw line. And Alabama had opportunities to get over the hump. When it had the three-point lead there at 54-51, could it stretch it into something more along the lines of two or three possessions? Look, when you're the second-ranked team, there's no such thing as a quality loss. But given the first half, how we saw that Alabama team struggle, especially on the offensive end, to have an opportunity on A&M's floor where it has not lost an SEC game in 2023, I think speaks well that this team is still together And this team is capable of taking a shot and responding with one of its own. Now, again, as I said earlier, this isn't the type of approach you necessarily want to be taking this time of year. 
because the dynamics are going to change once the NCAA tournament starts. You're not going to be playing with house money like you were on Saturday with the SEC regular season championship already in your back pocket. You get down 9, 10, 12 at the half in one of these even early round games in the NCAA tournament, it's going to be a bit more stressful in trying to get back and get over the hump and get to the next round. So for Alabama, its last three losses have all come in games that saw it finish with fewer than 70 points, all of those games on the road. Now, it has won a game or two, I guess, in the 60s. Mississippi State at Coleman Coliseum comes to mind. And look, it's impossible to play well for 40 minutes a game, game in and game out. But you got to be more consistent and you got to be more of a team that can get off to a quicker start than what we've seen from Alabama of late. As it is, it's on to Nashville for the 2023 SEC Tournament. Alabama with a double buy into the quarterfinals. Good news for Alabama. Early game on Saturday to cap the regular season. Now you're going to get some much-needed time off before you play again next Friday in Nashville. I'm recording this not too long in the aftermath of Alabama-Texas A&M. So there were still some things to sort out as far as seeding goes in Nashville. As of the time of this recording, it looked like Mississippi State-Arkansas would be in that 8-9 second round game on Thursday. If it plays out that way, Alabama would play the winner in the quarterfinals on Friday. That will be a noon tip-off on Friday. Alabama swept both Mississippi State and Arkansas in the regular season. Of course, the second go-around with both those teams was a good bit closer. Not that either game was easy for Alabama against either of these teams, but Arkansas absolutely pushed Alabama to the limit at Coleman Coliseum just a week ago. And then prior to that, we saw Mississippi State get more of the kind of game it wanted on Alabama's home court only to fall by three. All right, let's talk some American intercollegiate varsity tackle football. Let's talk some Alabama offensive tackles while we're at it on this midweekend edition of the Bama Online Podcast. Here's what we know since the end of the 2022 season. Tyler Steen is among the 13 Alabama players currently up in Indianapolis at the NFL Combine. We know that Kendall Randolph, a very valuable six-year senior in 2022, a hybrid type at the offensive line and tight end positions during his Alabama career has moved on. And then you had a couple of transfer portal opt-outs in Amari Kite, a veteran reserve who has moved on to UCF. Tommy Brockermeyer came to Alabama a couple of years ago as a developmental prospect. He has gone back to his home state of Texas where he is enrolled at TCU. And so Steen heads to the NFL after providing what was essentially a bridge year, what you anticipate to have been a bridge year between Evan Neal and perhaps J.C. Latham. Latham, an every-game starter at right tackle in 2022, was outstanding. And yes, he did have his penalty issues. That's certainly something that's at the top of J.C. Latham's off-season to-do list, I would think. But he did rack up 29 knockdown blocks as a sophomore. He heads into his third year in the program as Alabama's latest three-and-out candidate at tackle. And really, when you think about J.C. Latham at this point in his development, I'm not going to say he's new to the offensive tackle position, but it really wasn't a spot that he committed fully to until his junior year of high school down there at IMG Academy. 
So considering the still somewhat newness that he's working through as an offensive tackle, it really speaks to his athletic gifts, his attributes physically that allowed him to have the success he's had even to this point. You know, with more reps, more focus on technique, he's just going to get better. So absolutely, I think he is a legitimate three and out possibility for the 2024 NFL draft. So when you think of offensive tackle and you think about first-round picks in the Nick Saban era, Nick Saban has had 18 different opening day tackles in his 16 season as head coach. Of that total, seven, Andre Smith, James Carpenter, DJ Fluker, Jonah Williams, Jedrick Wills, Alex Leatherwood, Evan Neal. Those seven guys have had their names called in the first round of an NFL draft. So if we're going to assume that J.C. Latham is going to make the move from right tackle to left tackle, a path traveled by some previous tackles of note, including some on the aforementioned list that we ran down for you there where first-round picks are concerned, who will make it 19 starters in 17 years for Nick Saban at UA? It's very easy to go ahead and start looking ahead to these four mid-year enrollees that Alabama has welcomed to the offensive tackle room. But I'd be careful in doing so, especially with Elijah Pritchett going into his second year in the program. He had his growth stunted a little bit as a tackle during the previous season because of a torn pectoral muscle that he sustained during last year's preseason workouts. And it forced him to miss extended time going into the 2022 season. But he did return in time to see action against Austin P. and also Kansas State in the Sugar Bowl. Yes, it was mop-up time, but I still thought it was impressive that Pritchett was able to turn his guy enough at the left tackle position to help spring running back Jam Miller for a 38-yard run in the fourth quarter of Alabama's blowout of K-State. Something else you have to consider, too, before you get into the new guys is that there is always the possibility for a cross-trainer or two, and that works both ways. There are some guys that work primarily at guard the last couple of years that have tackle in their background, and we've seen Alabama take tackles early on in their career like Alex Leatherwood, like Jedrick Wills, like Evan Neal, play them inside before moving them to the tackle spots. And when I talk about current guys in that regard, I'm thinking about Tyler Booker, Terrence Ferguson II, Jaden Roberts. They all have tackle experience. In fact, Booker finished 2022 spring drills with a start at right tackle for the second team offense in the 8A game. Again, though, this could work both ways because you also have a guard spot you're looking to fill. And maybe more so with an eye on the newcomers, you could see one of those guys that we'll talk about in just a little bit getting their first work inside. And when we do talk about those new guys, the list starts with Caden Proctor, the five-star offensive tackle signee from Iowa, six foot seven, 330 pounds. I know they're both Iowa guys, but just physically, when you look at Caden Proctor, maybe even more so than this guy, Mammoth, Tristan Wirfs is a guy I'm thinking about. An Iowan who went on to the University of Iowa. It looked like Proctor was headed to Iowa, as we know there. But Proctor shows power in the run game and a high ceiling where pass protection is concerned. And again, with Alabama in need of not just starters, but depth at both guard and tackle for 2023. More so depth at tackle, I would say. 
it's not all that difficult to envision Proctor impacting the two deep quickly. A lot closer to home comes Wilkin Formby, another tackle type who could cross train at the guard position. He's kind of like Olas Alinen in that Formby possesses a frame that will allow for increased bulk and power without sacrificing mobility. And when you watch Formby on tape, what you see is a self-made player. In other words, what I see when I watch Wilkin Formby is a lot of attention to detail. He seems to be more of a perfectionist than some young linemen that you'll see from time to time. Back to Alinen, DNA is there. When you talk about offensive line play in his family, physically he's already at a place that will allow him to compete early in his career. And again, that family background in the game shows up in solid fundamentals and technique. Kind of gives you the look of a mauler who thrives on finishing opponents with emphasis. And you want to talk about Mammoth. There's also Miles McVeigh to consider here. In a five-man offensive line class that doesn't lack size, McVeigh might be the most physically imposing of the quintet. McVeigh was a right tackle in high school who showed functional mobility even at his elevated weight. He would get out in front of counters and outside zone runs. But to be sure, his work in the strength and conditioning program will be tethered to his ETA where impacting the two deep is concerned. And I don't know if this is a positive or a negative. It's probably somewhere in the middle of it all. But here's one thing these guys won't have to worry about in making their spring practice debuts at UA here in the next week or so. They don't have to deal with Will Anderson. He'll only be around in Tuscaloosa for his pro day in the next couple weeks. That said, it's not like dealing with Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell, and the Alabama edges that are coming back and the ones that Alabama is welcoming is going to represent a walk in the park either. All right, that's going to do it for the latest edition of the BOL podcast. we got plenty of coverage for you right there at BamaOnline.com. Continuing coverage of Alabama men's basketball as it readies itself now for the SEC tournament. You had a junior day from a football recruiting perspective going on in Tuscaloosa this weekend. So Hank South and Tim Watts are going to do a great job of keeping you informed on all of that. Don't want to forget, too, Alabama basketball. Men's basketball with a nice pickup on the recruiting trail with Chris Parker, a top 100 prospect, committing to Alabama here in the last day or so. All of that and more we're going to have for you. Charlie Potter, Kirk McNair, myself, I mentioned Tim Watts, Hank South. Thankful you choose us as your source for everything Alabama Crimson Tide related. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast here as of yet, we certainly hope you'll consider doing so. Wherever you consume podcasts, you'll find the Bama Online Podcast. And if you'd leave us a rating and a review while you're there, we would greatly appreciate that as well. Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us right here on the Bama Online Podcast. And until next time, so long, everybody. On May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus.